even when you were, as the Bible says, an object of wrath, deserving of punishment. He said, I will take your punishment upon myself to bring you peace and life. Not because you're worth it, but because I love you. And if we have any value, it is because of what He did. And we find our worth and our value in Him. What a profound statement. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I'd love to just spend a short while just talking and unpacking something of what that means for us. And then I'd like us to, to break bread together and maybe go back into a time of worship. So we can grab our seats. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. How many of you find parts of the Bible weird? Let's be honest. God asks us to do some weird things occasionally, doesn't he? Think about it. Like sticking your hands up in worship. Like, what's this about? It's a bit strange, right? That's if you do it this way, or you do it this way. Or this way. This way. But raising our hands in worship is a bit weird. Baptism. That's weird, right? Like getting dunked in water for what's that about? Because it's there's so much that the Bible talks to us about and asks us to do that goes so against our culture and our experience. But we're called into a new culture, into a new ex- experience, into a new way of acting and thinking and believing. But even then, sometimes it's a bit odd. And, and one of the odd things is, for, to be honest, for most people, is breaking bread. How many of you find it awkward and weird? Come on, be honest. Uh, in Acts 2.42, we, we're continually quoting Acts 2.42 to 47, right? The, the, the church, they, would, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, breaking bread, to fellowship and prayer. So how many of us are devoted to breaking bread? And I think it's partly because we don't fully understand what it is and partly because it's sometimes just a little bit awkward. Because like, how can you devote yourself to something that you're like awkward about? And so, because like in some churches, um, for some reason, the way you break bread is you've, you've all got to file to the front, kneel, and the priest gives you a wafer. And then depending on which... Uh, which church it is, either the, print, the, the priest drinks the wine and leaves you all with the wafer or he gives you a little, but there's, you know, you've got to kneel before a priest and a priest administers that to you. You know, it's so weird that in Luther's time, the Luther, when he, was a, when he was a priest, before he actually met Jesus, he had a degree in theology and then met Jesus. He was a priest and then he met Jesus. He had no understanding of grace and so 
he would be the priest administering the, the sacraments, the mass, the Eucharist, and there's different names for it, I'll unpack that just, just now, hopefully. But he was so petrified that he would do it slightly wrong and that God would punish him. That if he had the, ro the wrong clothes on, the wrong vestments in the wrong order, or if he said the mass in the wrong order, that, that the wrath of God and the judgment of God would come upon him. How tragically ironic that this thing we do to celebrate the grace of God <laughs> brought such fear. And hopefully none of us feel that level of fear about anything when it comes to God. Of If I just step out of line accidentally, I'm but we still feel a degree of awkwardness or even theological confusion. Even some pastors I know have strange ideas about breaking bread. There's a friend of mine in, in Brazil, not Ronaldo. Okay. Another guy. And he's got a, a fairly small church that we vi visit sometimes. And he's got the loudest worship on the planet. I'm surprised you haven't heard his worship here. It's like you come out with a stomach ache because you've been, you've been like this during... Worship, it's like, I'm deaf in one ear as it is. I, I'm in that place going, please God, I can't afford my other ear to go. But then at some point in his meeting, he'll say, now we're going to break bread. And if you're a believer, you can come forward and take the bread and the wine. He said, but it's only for believers, which you can see, you can see something of that in Scripture. He says, so if you're an unbeliever, you can come forward, but you can't take the bread and wine, but you can take a grape. And his thinking is, a grape is what you use to become wine. And so by taking a grape, it's a prophetic picture that one day you'll be, you, the, it'll be wine and you'll get saved. It's just strange. And we do, we, we sometimes make things strange. Just because something is a different culture doesn't mean we should be weird. As a people, we should be wild, but not necessarily weird. And even in, in churches like ours, breaking bread can become really awkward because it often happens like this, right? Uh, can the deacons please pass uh, the, the bread and the wine around? And you get this little thing like this because we don't share one cup anymore for various reasons. We all have our ind individual little cup and our little bit of cracker. And usually this is what happens. You sit in your chair or you stand, whatever, and you think, I've got to look suitably holy now. Because this is a holy moment. So I've got to put my holy face on. And I've got to close my eyes like I'm having some real intense spiritual prayer with the Lord. Even if I'm not. Is this just me? And then you start thinking, wait a minute. Are we supposed to do this all together? So you open one eye to check. Has anybody else had anything yet? Duh. Oh, I've already eaten it. Oh, do I need another piece of cracker now? Because I didn't wait for the guy to... And then, is it the cracker first or the wine first? I, I, and we saw... We could get, is that just me? Or is there anybody here who feels that way? i like, you're so bothered with doing it right. And the awkwardness of it. And it becomes so individual. It's like, that's the last thing that it should be. Because there's no life in that. So I want to unpack a little bit um, some of what breaking bread is about, what its significance is, and then we're going to do it. But we're going to do it with life on it. 
It's not going to be awkward and difficult because I, 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 I want to set you free. There's no one right way to do it other than the attitude of the heart. So sometimes it's, it's the best way to administrate it is, is hand it out and everybody's sitting in your seats and just with one heart we pray. Sometimes the best way is to, to get into little groups. Some, you know, when I, when I was a youth leader, I used to love breaking bread because this is how we would do it. Okay, you'll have to forgive me a little bit because we used to use real wine. And even that, like people get into big debates. Must you use real wine or non-alcoholic wine? If you've no grape juice, can you use orange juice? Because, you know, it's like, it's supposed to represent the blood and it's, so it's got to be red. And it's like, and, and like is, is that bread or is it a cracker? Of a, of, of people argue, you know. I've, I've, seen, I've seen people break bread with orange juice and bananas before now because that's all they had. But the way we would do it when I was a youth leader in another life, in another nation, the way we would break bread is we would take a piece of bread and we'd each have a glass of wine and I'd go to a friend and say, can I share this with you? And we'd share it and we'd pray over each other for a few minutes. And then I'd go to the next person and say, can I share this with you? And one by one, we would, we would just go around the room and often breaking bread would take an hour and a half. Just... And you know what, what it, and I'm not saying that's the right way, it's a way. You, can't, you couldn't do that with this many people. But in a smaller group, maybe a community, you can do that. And what happens is I'm actually developing true communion with people one at a time. And sometimes 20 of us would go through four bottles of wine. I said, Don't judge me, okay. <laughs> because we were sharing and, and there was a... a we, we would share with multiple people. So it's not that there's a right way to administrate it and a wrong way to administrate it. There is a right heart and a wrong heart. And in order to understand it and understand the power of it, we've, we've got to get back to the original. We've got to get back to Jesus. And we've got to get back to why did Jesus ask us to do it? Because if Jesus asked us to do it, he must have thought it important. And he must have had a reason. And one of the challenges that we have, and it, it comes with uh, baptism as well, is we don't want to be superstitious, right? So when it comes to baptism, we go, yeah, baptism is just a symbol of, but it's not just a symbol, it's a sacrament. And breaking bread, likewise, is a sacrament. And sacrament's a fancy word. What does it mean? It's one of these theological words. And without getting into it too deeply, perhaps, and Adam's here so he can throw something at me if he thinks I'm way off the mark, is a sacrament is something that we do physically in which the Lord is present. And we have to understand that when we take the bread and wine in faith, like if you get baptized but there's no faith, you're not getting baptized, you're just getting wet. Yeah? But when you do it in faith, there's power in the act. There's the presence of God in the act. And when we break bread, the, there is presence of God, there is the presence of Christ in the act. But even that thought became a problem because people, even after Luther, began to debate, now, does the body and blood, does it actually become the body and blood of Jesus or is it just symbolic of the body? And they, it's like, you know what? I don't think 
the wine actually literally becomes the blood of Jesus. But I do think Jesus is present literally in the act. Yeah? Does that make sense? Like people are searching for the Holy Grail. They're never going to find it because, you know, like, I'm not sure that after the, the Last Supper and the cup that Jesus used, somebody thought, we better keep this just in case. And when we talk about the blood of Jesus having power, we don't mean that anything that the blood of Jesus touched certainly has supernatural power literally, but when the blood of Jesus touches you, there's supernatural power in a spiritual sense. Do you understand? But the presence of Jesus is real because it's a sacrament. It's not merely symbolic. If it was merely symbolic, then Paul would would have had a problem with what he wrote to the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians 11, he gives them instruction. What's happening in in the Corinthian church is there's lots of division, lots of pride, and people are trying to be spirit. They're trying to um, hide it as spiritual, but actually there's there's division, there's competition, and there's pride. And so some of them go, "I follow Paul," and some are saying, "I follow Apollos," and some are saying, "Well, you guys are so divisive." And you guys are so heathen. I follow Jesus. But even that wasn't being spiritual. That in itself was pride. And Paul says this division amongst you, all these arguments are necessary to show who's genuinely spiritual. And the other thing that it manifested in in the Corinthian church was spiritual gifts. And people were prophesying and speaking in tongues, not to serve the church, but to prove who was the most spiritual. And so there was chaos. And then another way that this division and this divisiveness manifested itself was when they came together for the Lord's Supper, it wasn't just a cracker and a little thing of juice. They would eat a meal together. They would have a, a love feast. And the rich people would come and go, hey, look, we can, we can really party now. And then the poor people would come and have nothing to eat. And so Paul starts to give instructions. And he starts to rebuke them and he says, when you come together, it isn't the Lord's Supper you're eating. So they had the same ingredients, but he said, it doesn't matter the ingredients, it's not the Lord's Supper because your attitudes are wrong. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's quite a scary statement, right? If we do it in an unworthy By this, some people have said, if there's any sin in your life and you do it, you're in trouble. He's not saying that. He's saying, if you do it in an unworthy manner, if you do it in pride and division and without regard for your brothers and sisters, 
Because what, af- what, after all, are we but the body of Christ? His literal physical body was broken in order that we could be adopted into his family and become his body. So if we partake in this with divisiveness, jealousy, and pride, how can we call it the Lord's Supper? How can we call it breaking bread? He's not saying if there's any sin in your life, you can't break bread. In fact, if there's sin in your life, but you're a believer, breaking bread is a good thing to do. We don't have to be perfect in order to come into his presence. We come into his presence so that he can make us perfect. And so if I've got sin in my life, I want to enter his presence, but then I know he's going to deal with me. Rather, if you're in sin and you don't want to change, rather don't come into the presence of God. That's good advice. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. That's why we all have that moment where we all, you know, have that serious face on. You know, because everybody's considering themselves. Bread, wine, which one is it? Has anybody started yet? But anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Now, again, that's not like the rule, right? Oh, I didn't have supper tonight, so I can't break bread. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, what is the point of engaging in a deeply um, spiritual uh, sacrament where we're wanting the presence of Jesus to be there and said, but I don't care about my attitude towards Jesus. Because actually my attitude towards you is my attitude towards Jesus. My attitude towards you is my attitude towards the body of Christ that was broken for my sin. Can you understand how in God's view, my disregard for others, my judgment of others, my pride and divisiveness. Can you understand how that must grieve the Lord whilst we're actually celebrating the breaking of his body while despising his body? And I don't yet know anybody who's dropped down dead in communion. I just don't want to be the first for a, for a long time. And it's not even that. It's... it's the, the principle here is this is something we're doing as part of the body of Christ. It's not an individual exercise. And that is kind of the tension we hold with, with worship even, isn't it? That there is possibly nothing that we can do that is more personal and intimate than worship. And yet it's also something that I need you to engage in at times. It's also the most corporate thing that we can do together. 
in eternity, thousands upon thousands upon thousands will be worshiping together. And it is at the same time deeply personal and extensively corporate. And breaking bread is the same. This is making sense. And so it's the heart of it. It's the, it's the relationship with Jesus in it that counts. It's not some magic ritual. You know, a magic ritual dictates, if I say the right words and do the right things, I will get the benefits. And for a time in the history of the church, that's what they taught, that you can engage in the sacraments and you will receive the grace of God whether you have faith or not. Regardless of you, you do it, as long as you do it, you'll receive grace. I got that's not my understanding of grace. And that's not my understanding of the sacraments. Is the Lord responds to the heart, not to some ritual. And this thing that we do, what do we call it? We call it breaking bread because we take one loaf, one, okay, crack it. We take, <laughs> we, it symbolizes one loaf, one piece of bread that is broken into pieces. And it recognizes one that Jesus Jesus had his body broken, that he was flogged, that his flesh was ripped from him, that he had nails piercing his his hands and his feet, that he was crucified, that his body was broken as a means of our salvation. But it's also remembering that that death, that sacrifice, it was what was brought what brought us into the body. And so it's his body and his body. And then the wine. The wine is symbolic of his blood. The blood of the covenant. And covenant is an essential concept in understanding what's happening in breaking bread. Because in biblical times, when two men cut covenant, blood would be shed. There was always the shedding of blood. That's why they call it cutting covenant. And sometimes... They would kill an animal and chop it in half and walk between the two parts and where the blood was. And basically what they were saying is, if either of us break the covenant, let what happened to that animal happen to us. That's how seriously they took covenant. But another aspect of covenant, and we see it in the story of David and Jonathan, for example, is that when I make covenant with one man, I by extension make covenant with his family. I say, and one of the ways they would do it is they would take a knife and they would cut themselves here. And he would cut himself there. And we would join our hands together so our blood would mingle, metaphorically. And as we did that and cut covenant, I'm saying, my friends are your friends. My money's your money. My family's your family. What's in my fridge is yours but my debts are your debts. My enemies are your enemies. My family is your family. And so if after that somebody came after Carl, all I would have to do is do this. When somebody saw the scar in my hand, they would know I've got covenant with him and they know if they come after him, they come after me. Because his enemies are my enemies. There's a sense in which when Jesus stands and he shows us his scars, When he stands before the enemy and the enemy comes after us, he says, oh, you want to go after him? You come after me. 
But it was also about debts. My debts became his. He paid off my debts. But his family became my family. I cannot be in covenant with God and reject you. Because that's breaking the terms of the covenant. Being in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ by default means I have a covenant obligation to everybody else who's in Christ. Think about that for a moment. And so breaking bread is a recognition of that. That when his blood was shed, it was the cutting of covenant with us. And as much as it meant we could then be in relationship with him, we cannot accept the terms of the covenant with him without accepting the implications. That that means I'm also in covenant with you guys. Makes me think twice, but it's still a good deal. (laughs) And so that's, we call it breaking bread. We call it communion. Why do we call it communion? What does communion speak about? Unity. But it's not just the unity that you find in a sports club. All you Man United fans are miserable at the moment, eh? Liverpool fans, anyone? Yeah. Any Chelsea fans? They've all gone quiet. (laughs) And there's a unity you'll find among sports supporters. But it's not communion. They have a purpose in common or an interest in common. Paul in Philippians talks about the unity in the Lord and he says, be of one heart, one mind, and one purpose. And you can have one heart and not have one purpose. So I love my brother very much. Really, we're very close, even though he lives on another continent. We have one heart. But when it comes to our lives, we don't have one purpose. I'm living for the Lord, he isn't. I hope he changes soon. We can be of one heart, but not of one mind. We can so disagree on things that it's impossible and to come together in true unity. And part of communion is understanding that we've got to fight to be of one heart, one mind, and one purpose. It doesn't come easy. How many of you find it easy to be in unity? Look around a minute. Look around at all these people. How many of you find it easy to be in real communion and unity with this bunch of people? It's not easy. There's an old old poem. I, I can't remember the exact words, but it goes something like this. To live above with saints we love. Oh, no, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's a different story. And so communion is a recognition that unity doesn't come through my effort to be united with you. True unity comes when I find myself in Christ and you find yourself in Christ. And then when we're all following Christ, guess what? We find ourselves in unity. When the love of Christ is flowing through me, when the grace of God, when I understand that You're an annoying, difficult, sinful, horrible person sometimes. And when I'm tempted to think that, I realize, well, I'm so much worse. 
And the blood of Christ was poured out on me, a sinful, horrible wretch, chief of sinners. And that grace that flows to me flows from me. And that's the only way I can be in unity with you guys. Because otherwise, most of you, I wouldn't even like that much. I'm just being honest. How many of you would really like me if it wasn't for Jesus? Okay, thank you. We, we could do coffee sometime. But let's be honest. And so there's communion. Another name for it, we, we don't hear in our circles very much, the Eucharist. Fancy word. Does anybody know what Eucharist means? It's basically from the Greek and it means thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And so one of my challenges or one of my frustrations sometimes is when we're breaking bread, we, we tend to instantly go into baptizing vinegar face, right? This is holy. I've got to be serious and a little bit miserable because holy equals miserable, right? And there is a time and a place for that. And sometimes that may be the appropriate response. Sometimes when I'm considering the death and the sacrifice of Jesus, it, it brings me to my knees and I don't speak to anybody because I'm just overwhelmed by his love and his grace. But sometimes, sometimes when I consider his death, I'm overcome with thankfulness and want to celebrate. That is just as holy a response And what, in, what, what I find incredible is on the first night that this happened, when Jesus broke bread with his disciples, they arrived, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you guys, my closest friends, who I've invested in for three and a half years, who I've poured my life into, one of you guys will betray me. One of you guys is going to get me arrested and executed. And they were saddened. And they said, surely not me. It's one of the 12, he replied. The one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And the son of man will go just as it is written about him. In other words, I'm about to be crucified, guys. And one of you is going to betray me. And then it says, and while they were eating, Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it. And we sometimes find it so hard to give thanks. Don't we? We're sick. We're in financial difficulties, relational difficulties. We're suffering. We're persecuted. We're attacked. Whatever it may be, and it is so difficult to give thanks. And one of the things that Jesus gave us was a means to remember that whatever our circumstance, we've got something to be incredibly thankful for. That whatever we're facing in this life is light and momentary troubles compared to eternity. And this is an aspect, there's an aspect of breaking bread that many Christians neglect and that's this Jesus said do uh, Paul wrote and do this until he returns and so as much as there is a looking back in the Eucharist there's a looking forward I thank you Jesus that you had your body broken and your blood shed 
to bring me into relationship with you. But you didn't leave me alone. You stayed with me. And you're returning. And we're going to have eternity together. And Jesus wants to reveal more of himself and more of his purposes and more, more faith and more grace as we break bread together. I love the story. I was going to turn to it. I won't for time's sake. The men who were on the road to Emmaus. And just after Jesus has died and the disciples have found the empty tomb and a lot of the followers of Jesus are really confused because they thought Jesus was going to come and save them from the Romans. They thought he was the Messiah and then he's died and then it seems like maybe somebody stole the body and, but some people are saying he's resurrected and they don't know what to believe. Have you ever found yourself on a journey talking with friends and your hopes are crushed and you don't know what to believe and you're confused? And Jesus starts to walk with them but they don't know who it is. He doesn't allow them to recognize him. And they're walking and as, as they're walking he begins to unpack scripture the Old Testament, about what the Old Testament has to say about Jesus. And then when they reach the destination, it says he acts as though he's going to go further. In other words, he had no intention of going further. He wanted to stay, but he wanted, that, he wanted an invitation. It's amazing. Jesus wants an invitation. I was chatting to some students the other day about ethics and counseling, um, because we, I'm supposed to be teaching them ethics and worldview, so we made it very practical. And talking about some of the foundational moral principles that we have on which we need to act. And one of them is the principle of autonomy. In other words, every individual has the right to make their own decisions, to do with their own body what they want, and with their own lives what they want, right? And you know that God respects our autonomy. He does not compel us to come to him. He does not compel us to surrender. He does not compel our obedience. He beckons us to be obedient, and then we give it freely. He wants that invitation. And with these, these two men, he waits for the invitation, and they invite him to stay. And as he stays, it says, he began to break bread. And as he broke bread, they recognized him. Now, I know there's probably a, a supernatural dynamic to this story that they didn't recognize him because... The spirit blinded their eyes. But there's an element to the story I'd like to think is true. This is just my personal perspective, okay? I could be wrong. I doubt it, but I could be. But I like to think that the moment they recognized him was as he broke bread. Let's just take a piece. He took the bread and he broke it. And he offered it to them. They, began, they instantly saw the scars on his hands. The wounds. The covenant marks. Because where the nails went in was in the exact place where a covenant scar would appear. And not only is he breaking bread, he's reminding them of his everlasting covenant. In which there is hope. In which the presence of Jesus is. And at that moment they recognized him. And there's something powerful about the breaking of bread together in which in the midst sometimes of our suffering and our confusion and our questioning, Jesus becomes apparent. 
and we recognize the wounds. One of the most profound things for me, and I've preached it before, but when we're in eternity, it t- Paul tells us very clearly that when we die or when the Lord Jesus returns and we go to be with him in eternity, we will receive glorified bodies. That'd be really good for Robbie, new knee. <laughs> be really good for me, a new ear so I can hear stereo. For the, I'm going to hear stereo for the first time in heaven, uh, stereo worship, because currently I hear nothing in one ear. We can throw our glasses away unless they're a style item. All of us are going to get these glorified bodies and, and your scars and your imperfections are going to be gone. And we're going to be gathered around the throne worshipping. And only one person in all of the multitudes is going to carry a scar and an imperfection. That's going to be Christ himself. And the only scars that we will ever see in eternity will be his. And when we see his scars, we will be reminded of the awful price that he paid for us to be there worshipping him with our glorified bodies. And all of these elements are tied up in breaking bread, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And so it can be a time of thanksgiving. It can be a time of prayer. It can be a time of ministering to one another. But what it should not be is boring. People say to me, Sometimes church is boring. And my answer is, yeah, so is TV when it's not plugged in. When we're plugged into the source, it's not boring. And when this is done as relationship rather than as some ritual that we feel obligated to do, when it's simply a ritual that we feel obligated to partake in, then we're worried about the right way to do it and are we taking it in the right order and are we doing it at the right time and do I have to wait for everybody else? When we do it in relationship, all that matters is pleasing him. And he could care less, to be honest, I think, about the order and the timing. I think what he really cares about is our hearts. So I'd like us to break bread together. And I'd like to give us a little bit of freedom. I can't just say everybody do what you want because then there'll be chaos. Yeah? This is a supernatural act. And Jesus, even when he was feeding, you know, when he was doing miracles, when he fed the 5,000, first of all, he said, put them into groups. It was just easy to add. So we're going to do something to administrate it. But within that, I want to give you a degree of freedom. So I think we should break up into small groups and break bread together in small groups, pray for each other, minister to one another, prophesy over each other, speak blessing over one another. But if you're in a group over here and the Lord puts somebody on your heart who's over there, don't say, oh, well, I've been put in this group. Say, can you just excuse me a minute and walk over here? Say, I've just come over with this bread. I just want to bless you. I just want to share this with you and tell you that Jesus loves you and thinks you're awesome. Maybe the Lord conviction, you think, oh, I've got offense in my heart or unforgiveness. And then decide what to do with that. Maybe you have to go to that person and say, 
I just want to say I'm sorry. Or you may have to say, I forgive you. Maybe the best thing is not to speak to that person, but just deal with the matter in your own heart. (laughs) Or maybe just go up to a person and say, I want to bless you. I think you're amazing. There's power in doing that. Even especially with people that we've struggled with. To react in the opposite spirit. So can we do that? And I, I, I know this is a big ask. But I'd love for the worship to be happening while we do that. There is something about... We were designed to respond to music. You know that. We were designed as worshipping beings. And so music does something within us. We, we know that emotionally that, that words don't. And so we'll, we'll make sure you, you guys can partake as well. You won't miss out, but you're here to serve, so thank you. Your sacrifice is our blessing. Your reward will be in heaven. But as the worship team just sings, and, and, and a song just about the, 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 the one song we sang, it touches both on the love, of God, the love we have for God and the love for each other. I forget which song it was, but you guys are the experts on worship, not me. But just a song that will just enable us to, to just be in that place. And guys, let's not be, I think we can be, we can be um, devoted to something without being miserable about it. We can be serious. And sometimes that can be, mean being somber and it can mean rejoicing. So you respond to Jesus as you feel you need to respond to Jesus in your little groups. Is that, is that fine? So, I, so just get into groups of about, can I say about six people is probably ideal. Get into groups of about six. If we're going to be really biblical, we'll get into groups of 13, right? But, <laughs> but into groups of about six. And really use this as a time to allow the Lord to minister to you allow ourselves to minister to the Lord and allow us to minister to one another with the love of Jesus because of the sacrifice he made. So you can get the stuff and then get in your group or get in the group and then get the stuff. There's no right order. Just...